0: Week of behind the lens i'm debbie elias film cr- film critic creator and host of behind the lens where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers the film and tv makers the producers the writers the directors the actors the cinematographers production designers composers costume designers sound mixers sound editors vfx specialists uh yeah, you name it, film editors, you name it. We talk to them, and we have a lot of fun doing it too. Um, you know, this is a very big week, everybody. Number one, it's it's the last week of quote unquote summer, last week of August, last show in August. Uh, next week we won't be here because it is Labor Day, and Pam, my engineer Pam does not labor on Laboring Day. Uh, labor on Labor Day, so. No show next week, but we'll then be back on September the 12th. But this weekend, this Saturday, big news for all you movie lovers and moviegoers out there. It is National Cinema Day, where you can go to your local theater and see a film for $3. It is cinema's gift back to the audience for such a bombastic summer at the movies. There is no doubt about it. That movies are back and they're back in a big way, and uh, hopefully we'll start seeing more releases on weekends instead of one or two films. Let's have six or seven films opening every weekend to give us all great choices of films to see. But you want to take advantage three dollars for a movie ticket, and hey, if you're if you're my engineer Pam. Um, she also has a birthday giftie from one of the theater chains of free popcorn. So she's set. I can't wait to find out what movie she ends up seeing on Saturday. But it's a great cha- New releases. Stuff that's been there. You want to see Top Gun Maverick again? It's still in the theaters. Go pay three bucks and see it. Uh, again. Uh, I now have seen it three times. A friend of mine has... He has announced that he has seen it 18 times. (laughs) Um, And I do believe him when he says he has. Quite a few of those have been over the weekend since uh, Top Gun Maverick became available digitally. But as part of National Cinema Day, Jaws, the original Jaws, Jaws is coming back to theaters. And you're going to be able to see it in 3D and IMAX if you choose. For three bucks. So AMC Theatres, Regal Theatres, a lot of, uh, of other local theater chains. But this th- this is a great, great thing for Labor Day weekend. So while uh, it used to be Labor Day weekend, everybody was away before you all come back and go back to school uh, the day after Labor Day. But, or you'd all sit at home and watch the Jerry Lewis MDA Labor Day Telethon. Well, That's gone, um, as is Jerry. But, uh, and schools now are on such an erratic schedule. You don't have that pinpoint of, okay, last weekend to get away. Because a lot of families, kids have already been back in school for a couple weeks around the country. Or went back this past week. So, everybody's going to be home. And in between homework, you want a respite. So, for three bucks, go to the movies this Saturday. I think it's fantastic. I will even go to the movies and spend $3. Maybe on a movie I'm not too keen on seeing. But for 3 bucks, yeah. Electricity would probably cost $3 bucks to, to screen it at home. So, there we go. Now, today's show, very excited about today's show. Joining us at the midpoint of the show is writer-director Michael Mandel. This is, he makes his feature narrative debut with The Movie. That's what it's called The Movie. And it's coming out on the 6th. Hilarity. It's funny. There's horror. There's insanity. And the tagline is it's only compelling if it's real. Um, And I got to tell you. It's a wild ride. I can't wait to talk with Michael about it because two people, that's all that's in the film. You have one woman who is a child actor, now grown up and, you know, hasn't worked in a while, as so often happens. Uh, And then you have this other guy that, as we find out, he is not a delivery man at the door at 845 at night. He is a wannabe filmmaker in disguise. But he's a wannabe filmmaker who's got a lot of screws loose. But his but he wants to make a movie and have this former child actor star in this movie, and he wants to make it right then. Uh, and then creepiness really ensues. Uh, I'm very I'm really anxious to speak with Michael, especially because of how this film is shot. Uh, I'm beyond impressed and entertained. It stars Bonnie Root and Jared Pastilli, Um And cinematography is outstanding, as is the production design and the color correction and use of color. So, you know, you definitely, you want to be here at the midpoint of the show when Michael joins us live uh, to talk about the movie. But before then... A film that blew my mind. Many of you may have seen the Denzel Washington film a number of years ago, John Q, that addressed problems within the medical industry with uh, medical care, organ transplant, the UNO system, and above all, insurance. And that involved a father who basically held a hospital hostage, uh, an emergency room hostage, trying to get a heart transplant for his young son who was dying. Once you watch John Q, number one, you can't look away from it as you're watching. Denzel is, it is one of the finest, most heartfelt performances of his career. And notably, it is one of Anne Heche's best performances as the hospital administrator. Uh, James Woods also stars in it, uh, and gives us everything he's got uh, as a surgeon, who would be perf- who is will would be performing the transplant uh, if the situation would work out. It's an amazing film, but it speaks very loudly to the fallacies in the medical industry and in the insurance industry. And within organ transplants, and some perhaps some discriminatory practices that happen. Fast forward now to Breaking uh, and our veterans. Breaking stars John Boyega in a stunning, stunning performance. Also, Michael K. Williams, I, I believe this is his final this was his final performance that he filmed before his his passing uh connie Britton, uh jeffrey donovan olivia washington nicole bahari uh selena uh leva outstanding film and this also this comes from a true story the story of marine veteran brian brown easley and he didn't get his, his VA check. He didn't get his, his monthly uh, $864. And instead, because he had another debt, a student debt, well, policy dictated that, well, they take his money. He doesn't get his money, so forget about rent. Forget about a mortgage. Forget about putting food on the table for his young daughter. That's all out the window. And this actually happened in 2017. And as a result of this, Brian Brown Easley went into a bank in the Atlanta area and handed a note to one of the employees, and all it said was, I have a bomb. The man, he was, Mr. Brown Easley, was very courteous. You know, I'm not planning to rob the bank. I just want to know why the Department of Veteran Affairs had withheld his disability check. When I stand corrected, it is $892. $892. He was 33 years old, a former Lance Corporal, and he held up the bank. Thanks to Abby DeMaris Corbin and her co-writer, Kwame Kwai Arma, they have now crafted this true story into breaking with John Boyega starring as Brian Brown Easley. This is the feature directorial debut of Abby, and it will blow your mind. She stays very true to the facts, of the incident and but yet gives the film a cinematic quality there is a very theatrical feel to it this could very easily be adapted for the stage and be just as riveting as not if not more so as on film the cinematography is outstanding And this is one of the really excellent points, Um, the cinematic points of the film. Douglas Emmett is a cinematographer and brings us some great lyricism of the camera, uses the room. 90% of the film is shot within a bank lobby. Um, Very few extreme close-ups are used. And there's always something with the shading and shadowing, the hiding of a full face. Um, it's very appealing. The film explodes once Michael K. Williams shows up on, this, on the screen as a former Marine uh, and now a hostage negotiator for the police department. He, the minute he gets on screen, you can feel the electricity. You feel the intensity of the situation, but you feel the electricity, and you are moving forward on the edge of your seat more and more and more. It is an incredible performance from Michael. Connie Britton, as a TV news producer, who Brian calls because there's no news truck, there's no anything, he really wanted to shine a light on the deplorable treatment of veterans by the Department of Veteran Affairs and by the public in general. So the only way he saw to get his story told was to actually call a tip line for the local TV station. And Connie Britton plays that, uh, that TV producer who is, sits on the phone with him uh, and talks to him and listens to what he has to say. Interesting dynamic with the two bank employees who remain in the bank with him, one is their co-managers. Uh the whole thing, it is very nerve-wracking. But through it all, you feel great sympathy, empathy, even for the for Brian Brown easily, and you feel shame for. the lengths that a veteran has to go to and because of some of the situations that our veterans face Um, I had a chance to speak not as long as Abby and I would wanted to but I had a chance to speak with Abby Damaris Corbin the other day uh, about breaking so I'm going to let you hear that exclusive interview right now Hello, hello. Well, I have to say you broke my heart with this film. Absolutely broke my heart. To hear about stories like this, to know veterans from various wars and having seen firsthand what has been lacking with veteran affairs and the care and treatment, and not only from the VA Association and the government, but people in general towards our veterans. You really bring it all home with this film.
1: Thank you. It's, it's really heartening to hear that.
0: That's what we set out to do. You definitely succeeded. And, you know, unfortunately, this is not an isolated incident. As not to, at all. And the fact that it's never brought to the forefront in the media or by anyone else makes this film even more important. You really have just done an amazing job, the entire team. This could very easily be translated for the stage. This is very, it's very theatrical, not only in its presentation with 90% of the film contained within the bank, but also within the emotional structure through the dialogue and the minimalist uh, characters. But then you also expand this and make it very cinematic. You stay true to facts, which so easily some filmmakers could have made it, have, give this more documentary kind of feel. And yet you find that sweet spot to make this a cinematic narrative. How did you pull this off, Abby? <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, bringing lots of smiles to my
1: face, thank you so much for acknowledging that. We worked really hard for it, and I don't think much good uh, comes in easily, although I would love to, to have that happen. But the facts are that I had a, a, a team that was dedicated to just that when i sat down and read brian's story and i uh, wrote a couple things down right after i finished crying <laughs> um that it, it had to, to feel like i felt when I, I i read brian's story it had to have that cinematic visceral feel it had you had to feel the humanity of the man mm-hmm. so that every element works towards that so that it's buoying getting to know brian's soul and seeing him as a man and not not uh letting the elements of of the art get in the way of that as mm-hmm. so often happens in film um it was a miracle it was a really really hard film to make but it, it, my husband would joke about <laughs> uh me being spider-man just like holding the train from uh, going off the rails, but in truth, I had a lot of spider people just kind of helping hold the train
0: on on track. Well, something, and I think part of the what works to your favor here greatly works to your favor is the fact that this really is it, this is a character study and a situational study. We, you give us a great character study with through Brian Brown Easley We then have Michael K. Williams' character of Eli, who just knocks it out of the park. My God.
1: Yes,
0: he does. The minute he gets on screen, you are riveted. You're riveted. This is an award-worthy performance, and if somebody for a final performance on film, wow, what a legacy. What a legacy performance. But then you also bring in, while this is focusing on the VA and veterans, you also bring in the issues of race relations with Jeffrey Donovan uh, as Major Riddick and the the chief of police. And you really give us that whole tension as well. And the fact that this happened in Marietta or outside Atlanta adds another whole layer here but you break this down with character studies that all mesh under this situational study, a situational character study. And it's really impressive how you have done that. And so much of that, in addition to performances, I really have to credit you and working with your DP, with Douglas Emmett. Your visual grammar, your visual grammar is outstanding. Thank you you have a great lyricism with the camera in the bank you are using the entire room you are using the objects in the room that are all feeding into the tension and what's happening you have very few extreme close-ups which I found really interesting so it gives us almost a metaphoric feel for this isn't just about Brian Easley this is bigger than just Brian by keeping more of the room and the windows at the front doors, by keeping that in the the POV for so many of these internal bank shots. And I was really struck by that. Talk to me about how you and Douglas came up with the visual tonal bandwidth and how you worked that visual grammar to create this.
1: Debbie, I just have to say, I love talking to you. (laughs) This is wonderful it does my soul so good to hear someone talk the craft back to me so thank you for that i, I really appreciate it. it doug is one of doug is a true artist mm-hmm. we we watched a lot of films together we watched films that were contained films that weren't films that took place in banks films that just had amazing tension prisoners by Denis Villeneuve that that shows a, a, a incident that everything is crafted around, and we studied the language, and then we went to the script and we went page by page and line by line, and we just talked about how does this make you feel. We didn't talk about shots, we didn't talk about uh, colors, we just talked about what does this scene have to say? What does this make you feel? And then then we got a little more specific, and we talked about what do you see here that makes you feel that way. And Doug is a workhorse. He refines and refines and he put his heart and soul into this film and refining the the grammar with me. And to come to that that visual language where you, you are feeling the weight of the world around Brian and then you're being invited into his soul in the way that you're on his profile. And you still can't fully. You want to see his eyes so bad, but you can't fully get access to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To be strained away from them. Um, Doug had so much to do with crafting that language, and it was a true collaboration. By the time we got on set, we had our foundation so strong that we we knew what we were shooting every day, every hour, every minute of the day. That we were then able to have a little bit more freedom to find things and escalate that because we prepared so much because we knew the color palette progression the shot choice progression uh the lens choice progression foundations that were already there it allowed the actors to have more freedom too because we weren't guessing Mm
0: -hmm. well and you gave them room physical room to play within the bank setting, John and Salinas and Nicole really had room to play within the bank setting. And I found that really interesting how each made use of the layout of the bank and and what was in there. And it's very, very effective. Really amazing. You mentioned something really key. The fact that you're, we're trying to get into the eyeline of Brian. And we're not getting, you know, the head is generally down or we've got, you know, a half profile or a three-quarter, but we're never getting direct, real direct eye contact for so much because we feel, what John brings to this, we feel his embarrassment and his pain at even doing this. And through his whole performance, he's mannered, he's apologetic, he's sincere. There is a sweetness, but along that same vein, you get Connie Britton, and here again, you, as Lisa Larson is the TV producer, Connie, you also aren't giving us that much of a straight uh, eye line. She also is hanging her head, almost ashamed that this is happening.
1: The thing about these actors is that they they act with their whole bodies. Yes. Right? They, they're in command of their craft. And knowing that I, I was going to be working with them, it allows you to have more choices as a director to say, this actor, I can do this with one quarter of their face and it's going to be stronger mm-hmm. uh, because they they can convey that emotion through the way that their head is hanging through. And John is so aware as an actor, of where the lens is, mm-hmm. he knows he knows how to emote um, through his whole body, through his posture, through a twitch of his hand, and Connie's the same. Yeah, I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna have to ask Abby. You know, this is your first feature. There's always a learning curve, especially with a first feature. What would you say if you had to name one thing or the top three things that you learned about yourself as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, in making breaking, that you can now take forward into your future works?
1: Cross your instincts. They're there for a reason. Speak up. Fight for what you... No needs to happen. Um, top three things. Those those were kind of all the same. The one I gave. The ones I gave you. Mm-hmm. Trust your things. Um Always make sure the script is bulletproof. That that's the thing that will weather you through everything. Having a script that's strong. And then work with people that are real, real the, the real deal that are, are are there for the right reasons, that are there for the art, for the heart, not for the other stuff.
0: Well, obviously, everybody that you had here in front of and behind the camera was here for the heart.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: it just it comes across on screen. With every frame, Abby. Really, really job well done. And, you know, I just have to mention to you quickly, your editor, Chris Witt. A terrific job with the editing here at finding the Thank pace. Um, oh, no, know, he and my sound
1: designer are both from
0: Suitcase. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Bring, bring back the people you know and love. <laughs> Oh, Abby, thank you so, so much. I hope we get to chat again in the future. I hope so. Such a pleasure, Abby. Thanks, Abby. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Abby Damaris Corbin talking about breaking. And breaking is in theaters now. Uh, and hopefully it'll still be in theaters this coming Saturday so you can go and see it for $3. Um, it truly is a film A very worthwhile film. It has a lot to say. uh, And it it, on so many levels. I can't recommend it highly enough. Now, you know, while we're waiting for Michael to call in, uh, just have to say, all the Yellowstone fans out there, I know, we're counting it down, aren't we? November 13th, we're counting it down. Well, the first trailer for season five, Drop today. The theme, season four was revenge. Season five is all will be revealed. Yellowstone returns on Paramount Network. Not Paramount Plus, Paramount Network. You know, on your TV set, uh, on your cable channels. Um, All will be revealed on November 13th with a two-hour season premiere. So we're counting it down now, people counting it down. Want to see how many more people rip takes to the train station in this season and how Beth manages to be married. That I it could be the biggest revelation of all to come out of season five. Who knows? But if you haven't seen the trailer yet, check it out. It's all over. It's all over all the social platforms. Uh, so i can't wait cannot wait and now right now i am i'm so thrilled to have michael mandel joining us (laughs) michael welcome welcome
3: hi thank you so much for having me on
0: oh my god here to talk about the movie and boy it is a movie uh I started watching it, and I start laughing. You know, there's a lot of humor in the way you have set this up. And then slowly, we see a total nut job in front of us. And then it starts getting creepy and scary and horrific. Um, I'm in love with this film. uh,
3: All right. Thank
0: you. This, you have built... It's such a great burn because you're not quite sure. And once you really figure out that Walter is a nut job, then it's, you know, all the cards are off the table. You don't know what That's he's right. going to do. Uh, I did the basic setup of the film at the top of the show. Um, you know, we've got a former child star, Janet Gillespie, beautifully played by Bonnie Root uh mm-hmm. Bonnie just all, because you have her for this whole film handcuffed and tied to a dolly so she's only got her her eyes and her facial expressiveness and her voice to convey emotion and performance brilliant brilliant brilliantly done by you but her but even more so by her
3: Oh, yes, I agree.
0: That is, so, you know, we have this poor woman, 8.45 at night. Now, 8.45 at night for deliveries. Yes, it's gotten so bad that, yes, UPS and, and FedEx will actually send you emails saying, expect us there between 8 and 10 p.m. So, 8.45, she might have been surprised by that. I would not be surprised by delivery guys showing up at 8.45. I would be surprised if it was something I hadn't ordered. Uh, <laughs> right. But—
3: Well, that's—and and that's why she opened the door, I mean, which really was the only mistake she made throughout the whole film.
0: That, it, it, well— was
3: that it, it wasn't such a—you know, it wasn't two in the morning.
0: Right. So, yeah, I mean, it was within the realm of possibility and reality. Uh, yeah. And then things just take a turn. I I and you have such tongue in cheek moments in there too. You've got delivery man Walter, and he's saying, "Oh, I can set it up, assemble it for you." You know, white glove service, and he's wearing black gloves. So I thought that was that was pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, <laughs> of course, I'm warped, but uh, oh, me
3: too, me too.
0: <laughs> and clearly, clearly, but it just. You know, but you you keep going, and it's all help you assemble. She's like, "No, no, I can do it," and it's in. Oh, my boyfriend's gonna be home, blah blah blah, and then he starts, and you know, something is definitely beyond a miss here. Uh, right? You know, where where did you even get the idea for this film? Because your tagline of "It's only compelling if it's real," which is Walter's mantra in here when he announces that he's a filmmaker and he's going to make a movie and he's going to make it right then with her, starring her. Um, How many times have we heard filmmakers over the years, it has to be real to be believable and compelling? It has to be real. Um, So you really take that and you run with that. And boy, do you run. Uh, (laughs) I just think
3: it's... Well, there was a very... It was it was a meta experience because we're making a movie about making a movie and while we're making it I'm telling her I'm telling Bonnie the actress the same exact things that Walter the you know <laughs> the character director is telling her you know I found myself saying no it's only compelling if it's real to her at times and it's like okay I got to got to distance myself from this <laughs> character
0: Where uh, did you get this idea
2: uh,
3: I, well, actually, it was it was born out of the necessity to make a cheap film, to be honest. Okay. I, I, I've written a million scripts, and they're all things I couldn't possibly afford to make myself. And I set out to sort of challenge myself with making a super minimalistic film, you know, uh, which equates to budget. So, you know two actors, one location, um, we shot on the iPhone. And so the whole two-actor, one-location thing was, you know, I was racking my brain, what, why would Why would a movie, why would a whole movie take place inside a house? Well, it's got to be some, you know, held in captivity situation.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so that's really where it, where it came from. And, you know, throughout the writing process, uh, Janet Gillespie, um, was my hero and protagonist. And, you know, I just figured it being a movie, she defeats him in the end. Mm-hmm. And when I got to writing that part, it just didn't, it felt kind of a, just totally not real.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, um, I, I just didn't know how this person could actually, you know, get out of this contraption, the whole Dolly situation, <laughs> and defeat this guy. And so I thought, well, you know, the whole theme of the film is uh, there's no Hollywood endings in real life, so why would I tell one? That makes mm-hmm. no sense.
0: Well, I, I have to tell you, number one, a budget constraint does not impact this film, and it looks expensive that's the first oh, thank thing thank you so much the look is expensive and so much of that is because of your location that house is gourd is apportioned so beautifully i don't know if you <laughs> set dressed it if somebody actually lives in there with it looking like that with all the plants it's so it has a bohemian flair to it it has you know, even in old Hollywood, it's, and it's, it's very much so. You've got dining room chairs that have the lavender shag, uh, <laughs> you know, chair back covers on it uh, and seat yeah. covers. And I just thought that was hilarious. But you see Thank all you. these things and it really it actually has like an old Hollywood kind of feel like a Gloria Swanson kind of feel to the look of this. Uh, That's
3: fantastic.
0: With all the plants that we find scattered, the types of plants, and then these kitschy things that are laid about uh, in the house. Uh, I really, really love what you did. did. Did you have to find this location? Did one of you actually, is this your house? Did you set dress this? Did you find it like this? Talk to me about this because this is such a core element. And uh, navigating through this house with a woman who's handcuffed to a dolly, um, not easy.
2: <laughs>
3: no, not easy. She was in a lot of pain just just by just by standing on that thing barefoot for hours. You know, it was it was it was pretty tough. And by the end of the shoot, we were she had a crew. Man on on duty who was just basically getting her in and out of that out of that thing. Wow. Um, but as for the house, that is actually my house. Wow. Um, I, I however want, it, I, was, it, it was it was <laughs> dressed. Um, and uh, but yeah, we keep it we keep it funky over here, and I really wanted to use the. Uh, that that funk of the house mm-hmm. and the kitschiness, along with Walter's sort of comedy. I mean, he's yeah. he's a buffoon, and um, or at least he appears to be. And uh, so I wanted that humor and that funky to sort of drive the the horrific.
0: It, um, I love it. I love it. I mean, you've got the navigation issues with the dolly. Uh, going around furniture, which is just, it's laugh out loud funny. <laughs> Especially when you've got this cut so that we're seeing, because Walter is wearing a GoPro on his head and has another, another camera on his chest. So, uh, you know, we're getting that POV. Is, uh, so to see it from his chest and his forehead POVs of him trying to move a dolly around chairs and a dining room table just is even funnier than when we see it with the third eye camera that is the observational camera for every for everything else. Um, yeah. You know, and even getting in the bedroom and, you know, trying to th- – I have to say, I have to say, the bedroom is beautifully done. And it actually – it fits the character of Janet Gillespie being a former child actor that she would have the gauzy kind of fairy twinkle lights and things happening. In her bedroom, mm-hmm. that part of her mm-hmm. is still tied to that childhood. Um, it's beautiful, just
3: beautiful. Thank you. So, you're- well, I had to I had to change the wallpaper in there after after the shoot, but uh, <laughs> I, I think the whole house needed sort of a uh, cleansing after this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you have two incredible actors here. You've got Bonnie. You've got Jared Pastilli as Walter. Um, the two of them play off of each other so well. Um, I mean, but Walt, I've got to ask you about Jared and his performance as Walter. Because Bonnie, she's strapped into the dolly. Hands are, are handcuffed behind her back. And she's strapped in, in more than one place. So that she doesn't move and can't kick, kick Walter or or do anything like that. Um, so she's got her voice and her face to communicate with. But then you have Jared, who is so emotive in his movements, mm-hmm. in his voice, in his face. My God,
3: it <laughs> it is.
0: Uh, you know, he's he's like a tsunami.
3: He's he is a tsunami. Oh, he's gonna love that you said that. He's definitely a tsunami wrapped in an earthquake.
0: (laughs) You know, just he is ideal. You know, as Walter, because so much of what we see coming from emanating from Walter, part of this has to be within Jared. I don't know how any actor that could pull a lot of that from the from the you know the belly of the beast so to speak, <laughs> without having some of it there to begin with. Um, just. Totally. And what he does with his eyes, he makes, you know, the really crazy eyes and they get bigger and bigger like Lucille Ball eyes when Lucy gets a hair well, brain he's scheme. Got those,
3: he's got those Jack Nicholson eyebrows too, yes. so he really can lean into that. Uh, yeah. it just,
0: <laughs> but it just so such an incredible pairing. So I'm really curious. Did they? Re- did you rehearse it all? You know, with the constraints you're facing, um, physically and logistically, and navigating through the house, um, did you have rehearsals? Was a lot of this, you know, shoot from the hip? Talk to me about that process. We really,
3: we really didn't. Um, you know, when you talk about logistics, that sort of solved itself in the writing because I live here and was writing it here I you know it was so incredibly helpful to be in the space and say oh they could be over here and be doing this and then they go that way and this way and into this room and that room so that sort of helped me really map it out so that there were hardly any questions when we got to actually shooting it mm-hmm. but in terms of an acting rehearsal I mean it would happen for uh, you know, three minutes right before, um, before shooting that scene. So it, it would be me, the sound guy, the cinematographer, and Bonnie and Jared, and they would go through the scene. The cinematographer would look at it once, figure out where to put the camera, and um, it was very fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants. Wow. Um, but I knew that if, if I cast it right with great actors and I had a tight script that we could get it done pretty easily. Okay. And, uh, and we did. And, and actually, we we, I mean, we shot the whole movie in, in 12 days. Wow. So I wow. wish Post only took 12 days. But um, the shooting itself <laughs> was very streamlined and, and easy. Well, and I, it was emotionally draining.
0: Oh, I can just imagine. I'm not even going to ask how draining it was for Bonnie. Uh.
3: <laughs> it <laughs> was very draining for her. It was extremely draining for my dog Pizza, oh. who is uh, very emotional and um, and very smart. And he he got the rhythm of the shoot. And so in the uh, bedroom scene, mm-hmm. um, it was very heightened emotionally. And when I yelled "cut," Pizza would run off his little tiny director's chair and Aww. go to bonnie on the bed jump up on the bed cuddle next to her and when we were ready to Aww. shoot again and i yelled rolling pizza would just i would just hear these little trots come out he would take his seat and i would call action
0: oh my god and it
3: was it was beautiful Aww. so we co-directed this movie we're, we're the real Cohen bros
0: Oh, my God. I love that. That is so adorable, Michael. That is so
3: adorable.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, what I find interesting is with the dialogue that you have, because obviously the dialogue is all written. It's Walter's script and Walter's mind that has written this. So as you hear Bonnie in character as Janet going, okay, now this is my stove, where I cook the, the spaghetti that I serve you on a plate from this cabinet up here. and I'm just <laughs> roaring, roaring with the dialogue it's that Walter has written. And it's th- so
3: bad, it's good.
0: That's just it. It is. It's so hokey, it's so bad. But then you also in, you know, inject in there really solid, practical, actor viewpoint, filmmaking viewpoint, you know, advice and and process from from the character of Janet. And she'll say, no, what's the motivation? What is going on here? Or no, you can't do that. No, no, that's not going to connect. And she looks at it fr- very pragmatically from an actor's perspective, trying to maybe educate or reach some kind of, brain cell that's functioning in Walter. (laughs) And uh, so I love that yin and yang that that you bring in so that we really do get some actual, you know, working thought processes on acting and and filmmaking set against okay, lunacy. Um, Lunacy. (laughs) But, uh, you know. Well,
3: that was just it, that she you know, her the, the Janet is walking a line in this yeah. film or walking the tightrope, you know, where she she wants to say, "Hey, this is moronic." And she she does at one point, but she sort of curbs it later on cuz she realizes that realizes that is not a tactic that's going to work. Right. So, at some point she sort of just, you know, swallowed her pride and said, "Okay, I'm just going to just going to appease this guy until he leaves my house." Um of course, that, that didn't work either, but, um, <laughs>
0: uh, it, it,
3: you it, know, and I, and I do think any, any writer or director or actor could watch this movie and find it a, as unrelatable as it is relatable. Yep. Because there's so many movie making things going on here. Yep. Um, on a small scale, but.
0: Oh, uh, you've tapped there. into all of them. You really have. You've tapped into all of them. Um, you know, there, I can see so many things in there that, yeah, okay. Yeah, I kn- I've i known some indie filmmakers or wannabe filmmakers that have tried to do something like that, and uh, that doesn't work. And so this is actually rooted very much in reality, Michael. It's
3: <laughs>
0: you have. I ma- hope
3: so. I- you have many very re- As ridiculous as it is. <laughs>
0: Well, I have to talk to you about about the visual grammar, using the shooting with the iPhone and a GoPro. Now, was were you using the iPro for the observational overview camera, Um, or just as as the one on Walter's chest? Talk to me about how you and your DP Ricardo uh, Jacques Gale. 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 Uh huh. Um. Yes. How the, how the two of you develop this visual grammar with these different cameras, because I love the color, the your color correction, your color and your saturation of the situation overall in comparison to what we're seeing that is captured by the GoPro and the Chess Cam, um, really so well done, beautifully done. It tells us what POV we're looking at, keeps it distinct, and you know that all I kept thinking is, oh, my God, Walter's going to have to go into post-production. This is going to be a train wreck. Um, does he even know what color correction is? I highly doubt it. But, you know, it talk to me how you and Ricardo developed this and what you were shooting, you know, what were you using for your observational camera?
3: So, okay, the the camera in the, uh, how do I say this? So, this movie is a movie within a movie. Right. So, the interior film, that is Walter's movie that he wrote and is making, is shooting on his GoPros from his POV, that was all actually shot from his, head and chest mm-hmm. on GoPros. Okay. Um, and that was one thing that Ricardo and I went back and forth on. He said, you know, it's not going to be controlled. We're going to be uh, looking at the ceiling or looking at, at her feet, you know, at times. And I said, but that's the
2: that's- whole thing here. <laughs> we're,
3: we're, we're doing it for real. This is, you know, there's no Hollywood endings in real life. Let's make something that could actually happen. Um, and so we shot on, on, uh, two different types of cameras, the GoPro for Mm -hmm. the movie within the movie and everything else, uh, was shot on the iPhone. Wow. And that was something that, um, uh, you know, I saw, I saw Mark Duplass speak a few years back, um, at the, uh, at the ACE downtown. We had just watched, um, Tangerine. Mm-hmm. And he was doing a Q&A after, and he said, you know, for all you screenwriters out there who aren't getting read or whose, movie, whose scripts aren't getting made, stop waiting around for a phone call and go out and make a film on your iPhone. Because we shot Tangerine on the iPhone 5, which is now incredibly outdated, mm-hmm. and it's the best-looking movie we've made. So, you know, if you're a DIY person and you're trying to get it done, you can You have the tech in your pocket mm-hmm. to get it done. Yep. And so I had, since I heard that, I was inspired, and I said, yeah, I am going to shoot a movie on the iPhone. And it's not like it was unprecedented. I mean, it had been done before, sure. uh, even though I spoke with a few cinematographers who said, oh, it can't be done, can't be done. I said, well, it has been done. And they said, well, other than that. <laughs> so, you know, I don't listen to that. Um and I, I found Ricardo, who's a seasoned uh, vet and um, used to shooting on on significantly more expensive and better cinema cameras. And he came in, he read the script, he, he came into my house, he looked around, and he said, you know, I take back everything I said about the iPhone. It's actually the perfect camera for the job because it's such a small you know, real movie. We, we want it to look raw. We don't. We don't want to dress it up so much.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So that was that was pretty much you know why we shot on the iPhone. And um, I will say that uh, halfway through the shoot, he. Well, I, I should preface this when he first came to my house and looked around. I said, don't you "Take this." Do you have an iPhone? He said, "No, I have an Android." I said, "Okay, why don't you take the iPhone home with you for the for the weekend before we start the shoot on Monday, and practice with it?" And he gave me this look of like, "Practice? I'm I'm 65 years old. I, I've been doing this my whole life. Are you kidding me?" Well, cut to halfway through the shoot, and he comes up to me in between shots one uh, one point and says, "You know what I just realized?" The lens is on the left side of the phone. I thought it was in the middle. Your whole movie shot wrong. <laughs> and I said, "Yes, okay, very good."
2: Oh my um, god!
3: <laughs> but I sort of had to, you know. I at some point along the way, I started embracing the the mistakes and the little things that you know I'm a perfection. I would have preferred to be a perfectionist about that I either didn't notice or didn't have time or whatever it was. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of painful for me to watch the film sometimes because I just see the things that I would love to change. Um, But it's it's those sort of mistakes and raw qualities that really make this movie what it is.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my! You know you have some really beautiful overhead shots. An overhead shot, in the pool, overhead shot um, of dancing that, with that the, one's the best. Th- the dancing with the dolly in the living room one. Uh, uh, how yeah, the
3: drone? The drone shot. At you so you in did the pool is oh, fantastic.
0: that is stunning, stunning. Yeah. That that's a money shot right there.
2: Yeah, um, exactly.
0: But I'm curious did Ricardo climb up on a ladder? How did you, or did you use a drone even in the living room for that overhead?
3: we we taped, we taped the phone to the ceiling. Wow. (laughs) You can't do that with a $20,000 red camera.
0: No, you can't. Because I saw that and I'm going, Oh, a Busby Berkeley nod. Nice. And (laughs) I just, you know, And of course, I think it it gives you such unique camera angles as well. You have some really and it makes it
3: really easy to set up the shot. I mean, you know, you know, move the camera to the right. Okay, it just steps to the right. Mm -hmm.
0: So, what did you do for lighting? Um, What's that? What did you do for lighting? Did you bring in any light? Did Ricardo bring in any light packages or? You know how did you how did you work with the lighting?
3: We had lights. We I don't think we had enough lights, uh, but um, uh, we he did bring in some lights. And um, my favorite lighting setup was was in the bedroom with the pink and the mm-hmm. green. And, you know, and it was all brought in as if as if Walter had set them up himself. Um, so that was that was fun, but mostly we were we were just using the lighting in the house. Uh, wow. It was not ideal, but um, again, it sort of lent itself to this raw vibe we were going for.
0: Well, be, well, you know, Walter didn't think ahead. <laughs> right. He he didn't think ahead. He didn't have an, you know light panels and everything in that box that he delivered. Um, so he had to work with what was there meant you had to work with what was there. So it does, it really plays to your advantage. And what about music? Yeah, I
3: think so. Yeah. What about, I think a lot of times, you know, these low budget films are trying to mask that they're low budget and they're, 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 you know, it's like a low budget film masquerading as a big budget film. And I said, I, I, thought to myself no let's let's make something that owns that owns it yeah this is a tiny movie i'm okay with that um i'm not trying to fake like it's some uh, big budget thing and i and i think it still looks like a movie so i feel like we succeeded
0: oh i think you definitely did and what about the music in the film
3: oh man the music <laughs> is the best uh <laughs>
0: You've got you know, some quirky stuff, quirky stuff happening there. That? You've got some very quirky stuff happening with some of the music, but it's quirky and some of it's kitschy and it fits Walter.
3: And that last song, ah. so good. Um, yeah, that's actually uh, a friend of mine and a very close friend of Jared's. Jared was like super instrumental. In getting this movie made, uh, not only was his acting amazing, but um, his wife, uh, his ex-wife Keeley, did my did the set dressing. Uh, it was very much a family affair, and um, and he brought in Paul. Uh, Paul and the Tall Trees is the band, and um, Paul is an amazing musician. And I always wanted to make a movie where. All the music was from one artist. Um, wow. And so that's what we did. It's all from Paul. Uh, everything except the the final song
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, were sort of uh, things that he had, you know, that he never published or never came out. Um, and so we sort of had our, uh, our way with his, his old music. And then the final song was was purchased from the label and, and, um, and that's a song that has been out for a few years. Um, and it's just so good. It's called Once in a While by Fall in the Tall Trees. Mm. And he's a, he's a force and Jared's a force and Bonnie's a force. And, you know, my whole thing was, let's, let me write a good script. Let me write a, a, a tight script that's ready to go and just cast it well. And let them do their thing. You know, what else is there?
2: Mm
3: -hmm. I'm all about, those are my two favorite features in a movie, the writing and the acting. So I I, I couldn't afford to make some plot-driven thing or, uh, you know, spectacle thing. Um, So my my whole thing was just hire the right people and it'll be good. It'll work out.
0: How long was your post-production on this, and how challenging was that for you? Your editing process uh, had to have been an interesting one.
3: It was. <laughs> uh, I worked with uh, Justin Villa on it. He's a very talented editor. And um, it took, uh, oh, I don't know, nine months. I mean, I feel like I'm still working on it now, so... Could be four years, but um, <laughs> uh, for all intents and purposes, it was about nine months, and um, it was, you know, I'm sure it's like this with with most films, but it was really uh, a big a big puzzle that we were putting together because of all all the different cameras and angles, and you know, it was just a uh, a mess.
0: <laughs> well. The end result is not a mess, Michael. It is far from it. I do. I love this film so much. Um, You know, your first feature, it's done. It's coming out on the 6th. um, So everybody can see it. God bless Gravitas. Because Gravitas picks up films like this. And I just, I love their sensibility with distribution in what they'll pick up and distribute, and I'm so glad that they have this one. I think they're the perfect distributor Thank God for, for it. Them. Yes, but you you know it's coming out now in a week and one day. What yep. did you learn about yourself as a filmmaker making the movie that you can now take forward into future films? And there better be some future films.
3: You're damn right. There better be. Um what did I take? I, I think the main lesson I learned from this, especially in the editing process was uh, you know embrace what you got and work with what you got and don't try to force something that isn't working you know you can always be creative and sort of f- you know f- figure it out uh, if it does because, So much of what you have in the editing room is not exactly what you planned or what you wrote or, you know, it it came out differently than you than you thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um, The toe, for example, did not exactly work the way I intended.
2: (laughs) Um,
3: But when it happened, I sort of I kind of I went with it, you know, I sort of you know, that was supposed to sort of be the, the turning point of the film. Uh, where it goes from comedic to serious, and, and yet him ripping her toe off was, was almost comedic the way that um, it was done. So I would say I learned to just go with the flow and, uh, and, and make it work when, when it wasn't exactly what I set out to do. So that's, that's what I'll take with me on the next one. And um, I got a couple things in the pipeline, and just got to uh, just gotta find someone to give me, like, you know, millions of dollars, and then we'll be good.
0: You know, that would be nice. That would be nice. <laughs> How hard could it be? Nah, come on. It's a piece of cake. You'll have no trouble. All anybody <laughs> has to do is see this film. You will not have trouble. You have an incredible storytelling voice, Michael. I want to see more from you. I want to see more films from you. I want more hilarity, more darkness, more strangeness. I, I love this film so much, and I do love your cinematic voice. And I can't wait to Thank see... you so much. I can't wait to see what you do next. I'm really looking forward to that down the pike.
3: Thank you so much.
0: Ah, uh, Michael, this has been so wonderful having you on today to talk about the movie. Um, I hope the movie,
3: the movie.
0: Yeah, the movie, the movie. I hope you'll come back on the show again. I would love to have you back uh, as you work on other projects.
3: Thank you so much, Debbie. Hope to be back.
0: Okay, Michael. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Bye. And that was Michael Mandel, writer director of the movie, the movie. Um, September 6th, Gravitas. It's going to be everywhere. Real, I, you will laugh. You will cringe. You will love it. Uh, so, that is all the time we have today. And, of course, breaking in theaters right now. Saturday, September 3rd, National Cinema Day. $3 movie tickets, people. And, of course, Jaws, the original Jaws. It's going to be available in 3D and IMAX. Good way to spend your 3 bucks or spend your 3 bucks on breaking or spend your 3 bucks on Top Gun Maverick or any film that's out there. And for 3 bucks, you can probably see 5 movies for the price of one what one normally costs you. So, until next until ah September 12th because we're not here next week because it's Labor Day and we won't be laboring. Until September 12th, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. <laughs>